Hello, welcome to Songs for the Struggling Artist, the blog cast. I'm Emily. I am your host, hostess, host, podcaster, person talking to you. And uh, today, here on episode 58, we're going to be reading, we're, it's the royal we, we, we royally will read to you this royal blog. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're going to read a blog. We're, I am going to read you a blog. Uh, it's called Still Waiting to be Discovered. Um, and it, it has some literary references in it. The major one is uh, Virginia Woolf's speech that she made. Uh, and it was a speech of hers that I'd never heard before. Um, and it's pretty amazing. It's like, wow, our historical memory is so mm, narrow. So to like read this thing that was written a long time ago and have it feel just still amazingly relevant. Um, anyway, if you get, a, if you can get a chance to, to read her, her speech, um, I think it's called Professions of Women. I'll tell you when I read you the blog. Um, check it out. You, you, yeah, well, I'll be curious to hear what you think of it. Um, it was, it was just kind of astonishing to me. I, I was incredibly impressed. Anyway, I'm going to read to you now. Still waiting to be discovered. As a child, I wanted to be an actor. But I lived in a small city wherein my opportunities were mostly school plays and community theater. This did not stop me hoping that some director or producer would stumble upon me and whisk me away to Broadway or the movies. I imagined someone like the Hollywood guy in Cold Comfort Farm seeing me somewhere and a light would shine on me the way it does on Rufus Sewell and he'd know I was going to be a star. The fact that I was a shy, quiet, unremarkable-looking kid didn't stop me believing such a thing were possible. I did talent shows and musicals and reviews and every play that would let me in. And the people who came would tell me to mention them in my Oscar or Tony speech. Everyone seemed to hold the same dream of my future discovery. Someone, somewhere, would recognize my talent and catapult me to the stars. Lana Turner was famously discovered at a soda counter, after all. It was just a matter of time. The process of being an actor was primarily a waiting game, a game of waiting to be picked, to be discovered by someone with actual power. It was like trying to be Sleeping Beauty, but like awake and trying to look beautiful in the sorts of places princes might be looking. Ultimately, this is why the business of acting didn't suit me, even though I loved the act of acting. This is also why I moved toward the bits of theater that allowed me to feel a sense of agency, an expression of some kind of power. I don't like waiting. So I discovered myself instead. But even so, I've often caught myself in the same expectant state, at a metaphorical soda counter, waiting for someone to discover me and change my life. I think maybe this isn't just because I wanted to be an actor. I think this is because I have a little bit of fairy tale princess dust still in the system. 
While I refuse to fall asleep like Sleeping Beauty or Snow White, and I am not locked in any tower like Rapunzel, I'm still locked in a kind of expectant state. When I'm told I can't go to the ball, I don't always think about how to get in without an invitation. I just wait for some fairy godmother to swoop in and make me presentable for the privileged. I wish I'd read a version of the Cinderella story wherein Cinderella picks herself up out of the ashes, dusts herself off, only a little, and then just brings herself to the ball, just as she is. I want to see a version of this story wherein Cinderella sees something she wants and then goes and gets it. No waiting. On one of my favorite podcasts, the host often uses the phrase, include yourself, and I have found it very useful when trying to elbow my way into places I have not been invited. I also just discovered something that Shirley Chisholm said that I have found very inspirational. She said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. But even while I now try and carry a metaphorical folding chair with me everywhere, I still often feel excluded. And while I thought I'd left behind my habit of waiting to be discovered, every so often I find it rearing its ugly fairy godmother head. I'll put on a show and hope someone will come see it and pick it up. I'll write a blog and think this will be the one that somehow shifts me from the struggling artist to thriving artist. I write a play and think that someone will read it and take me to the theater dance. And they never show up, and I sink back into the ashes to cry and wish like some older, grayer Cinderella without the fairy godmother. And for some people, getting discovered does happen. They have mentors or advocates that shepherd them to the ball, but not everyone gets a fairy godmother. Not everyone who is working gets discovered. Being discovered is essentially a passive activity, and hoping for it is a heartbreak. Being discovered is essentially a passive activity, and hoping for it is a heartbreak. If you don't get invited to the ball, sometimes you find your own way in, and sometimes you just have your own party, which, while a lot more work, can be a lot more fun and certainly a lot less passive. I hesitate to write about this internal pattern because it is the very thing someone might use to explain why success eludes me or any woman. It's that thing where conf confessing to lacking confidence suddenly leads to blaming women for the confidence gap. I fear that acknowledging that I notice a tiny inner fairy tale princess who keeps waiting to be chosen will then be used as evidence for why I have not made my way to the ball. It sounds as if I am passively sitting on a rock and wishing for my artistic professional prince, which I categorically am not. I mostly do no wishing at all. I just do doing. I write the thing. I direct the thing. I devise the thing. I produce the thing. I publicize the thing. I invite people to the thing. I write other things. I podcast the thing. I tweet. I email. I call. It's just that there is, below the doing, a little wishing fairy tale princess that was imprinted on me from a very young age. She mostly does me no real harm, aside from the disappointment of the fairy godmother never showing up. It makes me think of a speech that Virginia Woolf gave called Professions for Women. She talked about the necessity of killing the angel in the house. She spoke of the nice, accommodating angel who sacrifices herself for her loved ones. 
Wolf described how the angel whispers in her ear while she tries to write, and each time she sat down to write, she had to kill the angel anew. I suspect that it is not just the angel whispering in my ear that I have to kill. The fairy tale princess, trying to help me be chosen, needs to be killed too before any real writing can happen. It's tricky because the fairy tale princess seems to want to help me. She wants me to be seen and accepted, to be invited to the ball. But her voice is just as distracting and manipulative as the angel. When I sit down to write, I have so much murdering to do. And while I don't particularly find murdering appealing, I prefer it to the despair and disappointment of waiting to be chosen. It is, at least, an active engagement, an energetic, purposeful task. Unlike waiting, which is total enervation. Fairy Tales and Virginia Woolf. Two great things that go great together. <laughs> like peanut butter and jelly. Um, so, for you, here at the end of the podcast, I first will tell you about the podcast that I referenced in uh, the blog, um, which is The Guilty Feminist. The Guilty Feminist may be my favorite podcast, just like, period. Um, it's, a, it's usually a live show that's recorded, which I actually got to see. Uh, I went with my friend Shobu to go and see a live recording of two of the podcasts, which was super fun. Um, it's like, it's like uh, you know, it's comedians talking about kind of feminist issues. So it's funny and sometimes it's, you know, painful, <laughs> but in a good way and charming. Um, and uh, I enjoy it very much. So if you are looking for a funny discussion of um, being a lady person or just being a feminist person, sometimes, sometimes there are men there, too. Not very often, but sometimes there are a few. Uh, anyway, so if you enjoy the comedy and the feminism, two great things that go great together, The Guilty Feminist is your podcast. Um, and finally, for your song for the day, for the podcast. Um, so the, the concept of the angel in the house, actually, I first heard about uh, through this song that I'm going to put here at the end. Um, a band that I have loved for quite some time called The Story. Um, they are no longer a band, but um, Jonathan Brooke is the, was one of the two um, women in the band, and now she's still kick-ass and awesome. Um, but this was uh, uh, with, their, with The Story. So it was Jennifer Kimball and uh, Jonathan Brooke. Um, and so the album was called The Angel in the House, and this song was called The Angel in the House. And I did not have any idea that it was a reference to a Virginia Woolf um, idea. Uh, so, so I actually heard this song first and then just recently actually just made, the, made the connection. Um, so I thought this song was about something totally different. And now that I know the literary reference, it has a whole other layer, which is it's kind of cool to see something that you, you know, loved 20 plus years ago be kind of re-examined and reconfigured. 
Um, so a couple of things about this recording. Uh, I decided to play around a little bit with um, some of my new recording uh, software. So I updated GarageBand and it has all kinds of fun toys in it. Um, so this is a little bit different. It's a... Uh, yeah, this is there's no guitar on this tune. Um, it's just me and GarageBand messing around with the angel in the house. My mother moved the furniture when she no longer moved the men. We thought nothing of it at the time. She painted walls, painted smiles, checked herself in the mirror one more time, and yoked her heart to a whim. But the history of desire is such that just one word, just one touch could send it believe. She passed go again and again, Never collected her 200 Landed on the purple with the Jones She wanted to be a different person But she sat down finally And he walked away He walked away She listened to the angel she said to flatter, she said to coo, she said it won't matter. I thought I was by myself, but I cannot kill the angel in the house. Even in my wildest heart, I cannot kill the angel in the house. The angel in the house. The angel in the house You hang on to the pieces of the game That don't talk back, don't sneak around Movable objects, but where were we? Don't let anything happen We're back to the wheel, back to the fire And onto the high wire she listened to the angel, she said to flatter, she said to coo, she said it won't matter. I thought I was by myself, but I cannot kill the angel in the house. Even in my wildest heart, I cannot kill the angel in the house. The angel in the house 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 The angel